Welcome to the Thrive Podcast, the place where you will get to know inspiring real-life women who dare to do the uncommon. They embrace who they are in their life's purpose, and most importantly, they thrive because of it. I am Olga Mueller, a personal success coach and speaker, passionate traveler, and unshakable believer that everyone deserves to live a life they love without ever having to feel guilty about it. Each week, I will introduce you to powerhouse women from all around the world to show you that you can create a fulfilling life you love, no matter the circumstances, personal history, or topic. Me and my fellow ladies are here to bust your fears, your feelings of guilt and shame, and boost your confidence to a whole new level where you are finally able to see that I can do it too. Get ready to dare, embrace, and thrive unapologetically with us. Let's do this. So welcome to a new episode of the Thrive Podcast. Today I have a fantastic woman with me. Her name is Sam Goldsmith and she's from Australia. Sam is a self-confessed serial entrepreneur and holistic health and business strategist who's on a mission to help women create their own unique well-being. Ever since she was little, she was raised to be an overachiever, which brought her a lot of success early on, but also left her constantly unsatisfied. As a recovering perfectionist now, her desire is to help women embrace their uniqueness and find solutions that work for them. Over the last year, she has created yet another successful six-figure business through multi-level marketing. And even though it was the last thing she thought she'd do, it has actually become the platform for her most most amazing work yet. And I'm so happy to have you with us today, Sam. Welcome to the Thrive Podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, we're so happy to have you because I feel like um, the topic of, you know, being raised to be an overachiever and this whole topic of perfectionism is something that, you know, is such a, I'd say like a killer, like a, a soul killer in my point of view to so many women because we're raised with this whole, you know, image of you need to be perfect and you need to do everything without effort and, you know, do everything by yourself in the best case. And so I'm, I'm so happy that we have um, you today here um, sharing your, your story about actually how you really shifted things 180 in your life. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is such an important topic. So I'm so excited that you invited me to talk about it. And I can definitely share from personal experience um, yeah. how how that's helped me, but also hindered me. So, yeah. yeah. And so, um, like I mentioned, like overachieving and being a perfectionist has been like a major factor for both the good and the bad in your life. So could you maybe take us back first to where, let's say, this all started? I mean... How, how did you grow up or what were, let's say, um, the messages that you actually received that have contributed to this um, inner feeling that you have to actually, you know, overachieve, that you have to live up to a certain standard of perfection? Like, where have you learned yeah, all this? Absolutely. Um, so in my personal life, I am an only child. Um, mm. And I do think that that has contributed to it a little bit because I was the sole focus of my parents' mm -hmm. attention. Uh, so I think that in itself, and I'm not a psychologist or an, an, an analyst on, mm -hmm. you know, the birth order or anything like that. But I feel that when you're an only child, there's a lot of emphasis placed on you know, what you're going to do, your success, how you're achieving, what's going on in school and mm -hmm. all of those kind of things. And I remember distinctly um, 
sharing with my dad an exam result that I had. And I think that it was maybe in about grade two or grade three. And I remember getting this result uh, in a test of 99 out of 100. And I was so excited. I was, you know, I was thrilled that I'd got this 99 out of 100. And I went home and I showed my parents and my mum's always been very supportive, just, you know, good on you. She wouldn't really mind what Mm. I did. But my dad said, oh, that's great. But why do you think you didn't get 100? Mm. And yeah, I just remember this like uh, reflective moment, even at that age of thinking, yeah, why didn't I get 100? Oh, 99 is not good enough. Um, and I know as an adult and working on things to do with my relationship with my parents that obviously he would have been thrilled that I got that result and his um, response was not to demean me or make me feel bad, but in his mind, sorry, that's how he would get uh, higher achievement out of me or have me think about achieving more or doing more. But what it did was plant that seed of I need to be perfect, I need Mm -hmm. to get 100%. Wow. And so how has this, you know, carried through your life? Has there been other, has this been like the, the, um, let's say the, the key experience? Because I have such a similar experience actually also with my dad um, and exactly the same with like showing my grades. And then actually he would be like, oh, you know, it's great, but I was better at maths still. And I was like, okay, but you know? Um, and so I also got this, this, um, this belief that apparently it's not good enough or I'm not good enough, you know? And so I'm, I'm curious to, to hear, like, have there been other situations, especially like in your childhood, teenage years that have now looking back contributed to this, you know, belief that having to live up to perfectionism and always having to deliver, you know, basically, um, almost non-realistic results or like results that almost nobody will get? Yeah, I think that that um, particular experience was one of those like key defining moments that I can still remember now. Mm-hmm. But I do remember just feeling all through my early um, primary school years that I I had to be the best or mm. I had to be, you know, in the top one or two yeah. that were competing in sports or doing a test or performing in the front of the class or mm-hmm. uh, whatever it was. And as I reflect on it as an adult, I think that it started to build in this component of not being perfect or not being the best and uh, a shame element. So it would Um, cause a desire in me to want to achieve or to want to do better because I don't Mm. want to experience the shame of not um, not fulfilling on you know what people think my potential is or embarrassing myself in front of the class and interestingly it um, actually created like a fragmenting of my personality where Mm. I would be a certain person Mm. um, the person I had to be in the test or in front of the group or wherever it is and as I've um as I've started speaking publicly for my job in the last kind of five to seven years, Mm. I've really had to learn to not um, step into a personality and to speak as a personality, but to speak from my authentic self, which is kind of the opposite of how Mm. that programming trains you to be. And how would you describe that personality that you had adopted? 
back then? I, yeah, I think that um, it's a very, mm, it's interesting. I think that it's probably a, a game face personality, I guess. So mm-hmm. you know that you've got a job to do and you know how you need to be to do that job. And this is why I say type A type personality is actually, mm-hmm. you know, it's really good for getting things done and achieving because it causes you to have to step into this bigger version of yourself and, you know, f- feel the fear and do it anyway. Um, but that also can create this persona that actually separates you from your authentic self and sharing that part of you that really is authentic and vulnerable and true. Mm. Yeah. And, I, I totally understand that. And one thing that I also mm, always try to, you know, somehow uh, communicate or carry through different episodes is like we've come, I mean, our core essence is women is feminine energy, right? And so yeah. when we get into this competitive overachiever goal getter mode, like you said, it's great to get things done. But if we're constantly living in the state and we don't know how to somehow balance back, then it leaves you like very exhausted because yes. it is not an energy that is, let's say, n- natural to your to your core. And so how has, how has it actually left you when you were in this mode of uh, being the best, competing all the time, like how would you feel actually by the end of a day or a week? Very uh, adrenally fatigued. Mm. (laughs) Um, That was what happened to me. My experience was that um, it took a long time. So I left um, school when I was very young and I left home when I was very young. I moved into my own apartment when I was 15 and I started working full time. Mm-hmm. So from this period of um, being, say, 15 and being independent and responsible for myself to maybe 28 years old, I was just going flat out, working so hard um, all of that time. And I was actually, I felt like I was thriving on that and mm-hmm. that if I wasn't busy, I was kind of dying and I needed to be doing all these things to feel excited by my life and mm-hmm. I would be feeling like I'm energized by them. But at that point in my life, I started to I actually became a yoga teacher and I started to reflect more on my personal experience and I realized that I was actually very tired. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't happen overnight. It was yeah. a long, gradual realization. Um, and when I finally left my uh, last corporate position, I actually had, uh, it took me about a year and a half to physically recover wow. from the buildup of that emotional and adrenal fatigue that I think is stemming from all of those years. Mm. Wow. That's like, that's like so impressive. I mean, um, I'm, I mean, I don't, I'm sure that it has been like super, let's say, um, challenging and, and hard to, you know, recover for such a long time, but you know, um, I'm also grateful that you're sharing this with with us because it shows, you know, how much certain habits and certain, yeah, certain, let's say, type of lifestyle can actually affect your body. That it, in in, in needing so much time for recovery. 
Absolutely. And I can just expand on that a little yeah. bit and just share because I think this isn't spoken enough, uh, widely enough in our wellbeing community that, you know, during, say, when I'm between the ages of 28 and 38, mm-hmm. in that time, I was thinking that I was living a healthy lifestyle. I was a yoga teacher. I was doing meditation. I was traveling to India as a vegetarian. I was, you know, doing all of this stuff, thinking that I had a healthy lifestyle, but all of it was still being fed by this Mm. perfectionism and needing to be the best and whatever I decide to do, I've got to do it perfectly and stringently and get it right. And I see so much of that in our wellbeing community that Mm. is so counterintuitive to what our bodies and our spirits actually need. So I I, I love that we get to talk about um, that kind of thing on on this podcast for sure. So what do you think... Um, living in this mm, mindset of perfectionism, um, even until then, 38, it has really cost you to, you know, not give, not give yourself permission to just know, um, yeah, to just be the way you are, first of all, and, and being okay with, you know, just achieving the results that are important for you and the standard that is important for you. Yeah, I think it's really hard because that type of personality actually helps you get so much of Mm. your, so much done and so many goals fulfilled. And, you know, I've been a student of Anthony Robbins for years Mm. and years and years now. And um, I just love everything that Anthony Robbins does, but his mode is very masculine and it's very goal orientated. And um, while I think that's important, it actually um, keeps the focus always outward and on the next thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that what it costs you is actually true uh, authentic expression of Mm. who you are because you feel that you always have to be better that you have to do something and you know um, sharing ourselves and our vulnerabilities is actually what fosters connection with others and blossoms our businesses and our personal lives and everything into all those places that we want it to go but I feel like that personality of stringency and perfectionism and all of that actually keeps us really separate from others. Yeah. And I, and I, and I feel like it also, you know, for us as women, it also separates us from each other because I, yes. I feel like, uh, and this is like why this, this project of the Thrive Podcast is also so important for me because I realized that, you know, I never really had this close, like really close group of, let's say, uh, girlfriends, which would be there for each other no matter what and where you could just be, you know. And I always or oftentimes encountered that, you know, instead of champion each other, championing each other for the results that we get or for the promotion that we are able to achieve, it's always like this... Um, this feeling or, th- yeah, this need for, you know, oh, um, criticizing, being, like, judgmental, uh, being jealous, um, you know, like, like instead of thinking, like, oh, how cool is it that she has made that and how can I, you know, learn from her? It's like, oh, she must have been lucky or, uh, or she, I don't know, she had some favoring circumstances that she was able to do that, something like that. And, um this is why I feel this is so important that you're mentioning this because if we're not able to get back to our center, to our heart, like 
like you mentioned, we're not able to connect to each other and we're not able to understand ourselves as women in order to then support each other and really, you know, help all of us as a, as a, as a, let's say a community really thrive. Yeah, it's so true. And maybe your listeners really just resonate with this concept as being, you know, like, oh yeah, we all, we all, want to see each other successful because that's the kind of woman who's going to listen to this podcast but the vast majority of people are still functioning in this competitive mode and you know it's the collaboration not competition model Mm -hmm. um, that you and I are both endorsing but it's still such a small percentage and I think that when we see this in our worlds we think oh everyone's like this everyone understands that feminine energy thrives on celebration but they don't and so it's really critical that this message gets out and women get to hear this and understand that there's safe places for them to be themselves that they're not always going to be under attack yeah i fully agree and so when have you actually realized that you know first of all even even when you started practicing yoga and doing all this more let's say spiritual things um when have you actually realized that still you're seeking like um, living up to perfection and also that this was really destructive to you and your life? Mm. Such a great question. Um, I think that a lot of maybe the first three years or something that I was practicing yoga, I was still practicing in this mode of getting the asana perfect and being able to do all of the stuff. And um, I think that many people do yoga like that for their whole lives because they don't have this kind of breakthrough. But um, what was happening was slowly, slowly with every process that I did or every, you know, deepening of my meditation or relaxation into my yoga practice, I started to just become a little bit more comfortable with myself. And I guess a pivotal moment for me, mm-hmm. mind you, at that time, I was still striving in my career. So uh, at the time, I was a nurse educator for the public health system in my state. And I was working in um, emergency departments and very kind of high functioning, high stress Mm. places where um, there was a lot of emphasis on getting it right and being the best, which in that case is great because someone's life might depend on it. (laughs) Um, But the, the other aspect of it is not great. And I remember getting to this point where I had a really peak position and I was earning uh, well over a six-figure salary in Mm -hmm. that job and I found it incredibly easy actually to do that job because it was really in line with my zone of genius Mm -hmm. and all of my strengths and things like that. But what I didn't like about it was the way that we had to often brush things under the carpet actually that's what Mm. happens in health um because there's there's competing priorities and as you move more out of clinical role into these roles that are more to do with policy and so forth there's a lot of uh, a lot of things started coming up that were really out of alignment with my values because I could see things happening and I could see that things needed to be done about it and nothing was being done about Mm. it so I started thinking you know I'm either I'm here, I'm sitting at these meetings and it's going to come to a point where I'm either part of the problem 
or mm-hmm. I'm part of the solution. So this kind of thought process was going on in my mind for quite a while, but I couldn't uh, work up the courage to leave that job because my personality was defined by it. I was very successful. Mm-hmm. I had a family. I had another thing I do, which is property development. And I had this massive financial um, responsibility with this property portfolio and all these competing things where I just couldn't leave that job. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, a couple of, a few years back, I went to one of my greatest mentors, Dr. Wayne Dyer, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. did a seminar series here in Australia. It was actually about only about two weeks before he passed away. So oh, wow. it was, it's, it's a pivotal moment, a pivotal experience in my life. And I went to um, his I am light seminar and the first day was amazing. And the second day I was running late. And uh, this is funny actually, cause it was triggering all of my type A yeah. stuff about being late and having to walk in and not having a seat and missing out on something and mm-hmm. all of that. And, um, I just had this amazing experience of getting to the, to the seminar late. And as I was walking in looking for a seat, this woman just appeared out of nowhere and she said, are you on your own? And I said, yes. And I'd come to the seminar by myself and she said, oh, there's a seat. And she took me basically right down to the front of the stage, to the front row wow. and sat me in a single chair right in front of Dr. Wayne Dyer. And in that moment, I thought, oh, my gosh, something amazing is going to happen today because I'm I'm basically have been sat at the foot of my teacher. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like this, this, this doesn't happen every day. All because um, you didn't follow your pattern. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. And um, so the morning went by and it was wonderful. And he called a lady on stage to speak with him and her name is Anita Morjani. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've heard of her, but she wrote a book called Dying to Be Me because she recovered from, she basically died. She had um, some kind of cancer. I can't remember what mm-hmm. it was, but her whole body was ravaged by cancer and she had this near-death experience, saw the reality of of. Um, of life really and um cured she was cured within two weeks and came back to life so I really highly recommend that book Mm -hmm. um she hasn't had any disease in her body ever since but um she was speaking and I didn't know know of her I hadn't heard her story or anything like that and she was sharing bits and pieces from her book and somebody from the crowd put their hand up and they said well, it's all fine and good for you to say this, Anita, because you've died and come back to life. But what are we supposed to do? (laughs) You know, we haven't had that experience. And she reflected on it for a moment. And then she said, well, anytime I don't know what to do, or anytime you don't know what to do, I would just suggest that you just spend a moment reflecting and going inwards and just ask yourself, what would I do right now if I loved myself? Mm. And as soon as she said that, I, it just struck me so deeply because my brain immediately answered, if I loved myself, I would resign from this job. Mm. 
And the next morning, I drove home that night. And the next morning, I had decided I was going to resign from my job. So I went to my boss's office at about six o'clock in the morning and sat there for two hours until she came because I didn't want to chicken out. Yeah. And I went in, resigned from that position. Wow. And that was a critical moment. Yeah. Oh, my um, God. Because, <laughs> yeah, I'm so grateful for just those two beautiful beings you know yeah. to create that um in my life because it wouldn't have happened potentially or maybe not for years and years longer if I hadn't have um if I hadn't have been there but that was just a moment where I couldn't hide from myself anymore and once you have those kind of moments it's like doesn't matter what it is it's like what would I do if I loved myself and I know if I'm in or out of integrity with myself by asking that question wow and so how did you feel when you were sitting there in your boss's office terrified like be before <laughs> and after like the the, the moment yeah. when you when you said that and uh she or he accepted like what was going on in your body mind And so, well, I was using all of my um, toolkit yeah. of calming techniques to actually stay there for that time until she arrived so that I could go through with it. But it was one of those moments where when you just know that you're doing the right thing and you're fully in alignment that she, there was just nothing that was going to stop me from doing that. So mm -hmm. she did try and say a few things about, you know, do you want to do less hours and, you know, a few different things. But mm. I was so just clear in that moment that it was really futile for her mm. to try and talk me out of it. Um, so, of course, I was dealing with all of these societal and um, family pressures of, you know, what are you going to do for money? Are mm. you crazy giving up this job? People would kill for this job and all of those sort of things were going through my mind and, I realized that they were all really based on outside things outside me or other people's perceptions of what I should be doing or fear-based mm -hmm. kind of constructs about how it has to be. So, um, yeah, it was, I didn't know how, how everything was going to work out, but mm -hmm. I just knew that I couldn't do that anymore. Mm. And so how was actually the reaction of your environment? I don't know if you told anybody before, but, um, How was the, like their reaction? Were they more supportive or like you said, like telling or questioning you saying like, Sam, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's really interesting because in moments like that, you get to see where your, um, your social circle and your friendship group are at also yeah. because for people, it really, some people were really triggered by one you know me doing something that they were too scared to do themselves and mm. all the stuff that comes up about why they do that um for my family it was very um distressing actually because mm. their idea of social or societal success and financial security and um, being defined by your role and, you know, what that means as in society to be successful and yeah. every single thing basically was challenged for them mm -hmm. by me doing that, not to mention just fear of, you know, how's my child going to yeah. <laughs> support themselves. Um, but, yeah, very interesting to see 
the differences between you know how people responded to what I was saying and very powerful to see the people who just said wow amazing this is going to be awesome you know Mm -hmm. like those are the people who become your champions and help you to springboard to that next step yeah and so what what would you say how how things went from there or would you say this was the moment that you finally gave yourself permission to really just not give a fuck anymore about those expectations or Uh, you know not to play to impress or to be respected by others or has this been just like the starting point and other factors have contributed to gaining this let's say um, yeah courage or you know stability for your own self yeah I think that I'm always in a constant um up leveling with myself to step into that more because mm-hmm. this thinking pattern and this um, programming, it's very deep. Mm-hmm. So I have to recognize when I can easily slip into it and then start doing it again and, mm-hmm. you know, pull myself out of it and not want to do it. Um because it's very easy to just adopt it to whatever new thing it is that you're doing. You know, I'm going to be the best yoga teacher. I want to be the best podcast presenter I want to be the best whatever it is um I think that being respected I do value being respected but I Mm -hmm. think that that actually comes from true respect comes from being more authentic and showing up no matter how how you look or how you sound and people know that what they're getting from you is is real and that fosters real respect it's Mm. not coming from you know, fear or status or any of those kind of things. So I do value respect, but in terms of, you know, not giving a fuck, I think that I love to say I don't, but I do know that I do. (laughs) So I'm challenging myself all the time to recognize that within myself and say, it's okay. You were worried about what so-and-so was going to think of you, but you didn't do it. You're still yourself. So you know what you need to say, go and say it. Um, and that's the way I coach myself more mm. now. But I still um, – and I actually don't really believe that people don't care. You know, when mm. people say, oh, I don't give a fuck what people think, they do. If you don't, you know, I don't think that you've, you're at a level of consciousness where you're recognizing that you <laughs> – that you do because every successful person that I know still wants to wants to be better or do better or give more and it actually it's actually about giving more because you want to be better so that you can serve more and give more Mm. um and it's not just a case of of you know completely not caring um but just remembering that or noticing that oh I'm stepping outside of myself because I'm worried about what this person thinks or I'm worried about what they're going to say or I'm worried about the feedback I'm going to get and just, you know, checking yourself before you actually step into anything old and just come back and be more authentic and be the best version of yourself that you can be. Yeah, funny. funnily, I was just thinking about that today, um, you know, how people sometimes paint the picture that you can be let's say fearless or without any fear or you know 
come to one moment where you have just resolved <laughs> all past, let's say, um, not traumas, but like beliefs and all that stuff. But really the truth is, and that's, you know, going so beautifully with what you just said, is that you will never be without fear. You will never be with, without those doubts. You will never get to a point where you 100%, you know, know yourself. Because this is like... Mm a journey it's a development and uh, our mind has been programmed for so long not, not even through our own life experience but you know past generations etc it just takes i don't know I, i personally think it just takes more than a lifetime to um to eventually maybe figure it all out and so um i think it's all about like you said generating awareness consciousness around the things and realizing that in those moments of fear it is not you it is your mind that has been trained to react in a certain way mm. and to take back control yes and so one topic that um i think i don't know if you have created it i'm not sure but you will you will <laughs> clarify that for us um but it pops up let's say repeatedly on your side and uh, you also have a podcast that is called this way and it is uh, Namaste type A and so could you explain to us um, like where's this term coming from and what does it actually mean or stand for? Mm, yeah, so I definitely didn't invent the term namaste. Um, <laughs> I wish that I did, but I didn't. Um, and it's now a, it's a word that's been, you know, floated around in, in the yoga community mm -hmm. and um, I guess in various conscious communities for a while. And I, it's even in the um, urban dictionary and things oh. like that now. But basically, um, the premise is that it's incorporating this idea of namaste, which we, mm. it's actually a greeting but you know we use it in yoga and it really just at a basic level means that the divine part of me recognizes the divine um, part of you and when mm -hmm. we do that we are one that's the kind of um, description behind that so it's a little bit of a a play I guess on that um, that philosophy of, mm -hmm. of namaste with this um, modern um, term that we use where we say like we're slaying something, you know, mm -hmm. we're doing really well in it, we're killing it, we're going to go out and just totally dominate that. So we're slaying it. And mm. um, it's it's just a blend of those two words. So namaste has become this kind of yogic um, embodiment of the the killing it, slaying it element of mm. getting stuff done and being, um, you know, whatever it is that we're working on, where we're going out there and just getting it done. Mm -hmm. And then what, what is type A all about? Is there, are there several types and um, why would you say, is it important for us to be aware of which type we are? Yeah, so my podcast is called Namaste Type A and mm -hmm. um, I do share on there that I, I identify myself as a Type A personality and this again is not something I've created, definitely not. It's a, um, it's a old uh, kind of personality um, typing system that has its roots in psychology and they they kind of defined that people were either this type A personality or type B and mm -hmm. type A's were characterized by being really competitive and super mm. organized, really ambitious, impatient, super kind of aggressive and all about getting stuff done. And 
for people who like to who would like to research more about that, there's really interesting stuff about um, the therapist noticing that when they were looking at these personality types, they'd see they found in their waiting room chairs that some of the chairs had uh, holes under the handrests, mm-hmm. and what they found was that was coming from people's nails. Wow. So people <laughs> were like pressing into the chair when they were waiting and doing their doing their thing, and they I actually linked that with the type A personalities, and then said, you know, they they're highly strung, they want to get in there and get it done and be quick, and yeah. the extension is being perfect and overachieving and all of that sort of thing. So um, I. I don't really get into any of the the background of all of that. I just mm-hmm. use that term type A because I think a lot of people are aware of what that personality type means mm-hmm. and bringing in that namaste concept is just giving ourselves that space to be still able to be really high achieving and mm-hmm. on purpose and doing all the things we want to do but not killing ourselves to do mm. it. And so, um, how is, or how would you then, um, define the current Samantha now? Because, um, it's like, from it seems like this, uh, being a goal getter, being an, an achiever, maybe not overachiever, but being an achiever is still like very prominent. Um, so how, how do you make sure that, you are not like going overboard with with this uh let's say desire to get things done and still you know um be true to yourself be balanced be um authentic and not fall back into this loop of yeah. um, living up um, to other people's um definitions and standards I think it's really hard. Um, You know, I'm not going to pretend that it's not because Mm -hmm. that desire to do whatever you do to the best of your ability is very ingrained. Um, What I do now is, and I still do goal setting and Mm -hmm. I spend the first day of every year um, like I have, you know, ever since I became an Anthony Robbins <laughs> devotee <laughs> 10 years ago, you know, doing my goals and planning out my year and thinking big about what I want for my life. But I question myself more on it now. Mm-hmm. And I think, how is this actually going to enhance my life? And, you know, is it something I want? Because that makes me feel grounded and comfortable and free in my life. Or is it something that I think I should do because it's the next thing or because I can or because someone expects me to do it. So it's, I'm still doing the same things, but the mindset behind it is more powerfully connected to what I, what I really want to create in my life. And for me now, it's more about creating time freedom Mm -hmm. um, and spaciousness to do things that, that I want to do. And, before I thought, you know, oh, what do I want to do? I have to be doing this. Or I have to be doing that. And it might just be that I want to create time freedom so that I can go and have coffee with my friends and I don't have to worry about what time it is or what I should be doing or what I need to get done. So I have actually channeled some of that into things like automation mm-hmm. now, which um, I can be a little kind of type A about my automation, I guess. Yeah. But that <laughs> process is actually a process that helps me to get more of what I want mm-hmm. um, rather than just you know, wearing 
busy as a badge of honor. I say that in my podcast a lot mm-hmm. that it's not being busy is not a badge of honor. And as women, particularly, we're just bombarded with these messages of needing to do more and to have it all. And that means we're really busy and we're run off our feet and we've got kids and we've got jobs and businesses and Mm -hmm. obligations and partners and all these things. And now when I, I used to hear that and I used to be drawn into it and think, yes, I'm busy. Here's my, my list. I've got so much on and I've Mm. got all these things happening. And, you know, now I look at it or when I hear people talking like that, I'll just say, especially if they're women I'm working with in my coaching practice, Mm -hmm. I'll just say, you know, where did you, where did this idea that being busy equated to being successful? Mm -hmm. Because being busy is not really a goal (laughs) that anybody I know has. Um, so the measure of success is more actually around how you can still earn that income, but do less, or you can still make that contribution, but not have it at the sacrifice of your own health. You know, those kind of concepts rather than just being this super busy person who everybody thinks is doing a million things and run off their feet because they're so successful and amazing. Mm. Yeah, this is like this this concept of hustling, right? Hustling all the time yes. and um, also being like the only way to to yeah create success. Um, and I love that you mentioned that because it's it's really not like you mentioned. It's either you can be a hamster who is running constantly and just doing things, but it doesn't mean that you're actually progressing or achieving, like you said, a goal that you've set for yourself or that is important or like for yourself that is enhancing your life not just maintaining it it's a certain energy level exactly and i don't think i'm not anti-hustle i know there's this anti-hustle movement (laughs) as well that's emerging um at the moment and i think that um i'm i'm definitely not anti-hustle because sometimes i love hustle and it Mm -hmm. excites me and it invigorates me and it makes me feel um, alive, but what I am anti is hustle a hundred percent of the time because hustle can be powerful to get large bodies of work done or to birth yeah. a big project, but we're not designed to be doing that 24 hours a day, seven yes. days a week for 25 years. Mm, that's true. So, um, let us shift a little bit towards your also entrepreneurial path. I mean, we've already you've already shared uh, some of the steps that you've taken uh, professionally but um, like you say about yourself um, you call you call yourself a confessed serial entrepreneur and so um, what has been your entrepreneurial path up to this moment Um, what were some of the things that you have uh, started and uh, you've been successful with because I think you've you've done uh, a couple of things and uh, they all turned out quite yeah successfully (laughs) the things you saw turned out successfully (laughs) all the other things that I did didn't turn out successfully I think that's that's important to mention so um 
I think that I've just been entrepreneurial since I was a child. It's mm-hmm. I just have an entrepreneurial spirit. Um, but leaving home at such a young age, I think, really fostered an entre- more of an entrepreneurial spirit because mm-hmm. I had to just think differently about how I was going to do things. And um, that might have been, you know, how I was going to pay my rent or how I was going to find a way to save for a course I wanted to do while I was barely paying my rent and those kind of things. So I would have been thinking, of ways to earn extra money or a little extra thing that I could do on the site to bring in some extra money or even it's actually not just about extra money it would even be about saving money Mm. so it might be you know how can I how can I think differently about what I've got so that Mm -hmm. I can save more or I can um, pull something in from somewhere else so I've always been like that but I've had lots and lots of um, business attempts and lots Mm -hmm. and lots of um, failures. So pretty much... pretty much anything that I thought I could be good at, I would have a go at. And the the thing that would often stop those things from being successful was I just didn't have the passion for mm. whatever the project was. So I couldn't follow it through. So I would do things like um, cupcake making businesses or mm. um, even babysitting businesses or you know, selling things online was did a few different things. But um, if I didn't have that passion for it, it would kind of lose its steam and fall over and I wouldn't follow it through. Mm. But it was an apprenticeship really of just learning so many different things about so many different kinds of um, businesses and processes that helped me get an eclectic skill base where I kind of feel like I could teach myself to do anything and I'd be pretty okay at it. Um, So, yeah, then finding the thing that actually holds my attention and the passion part of it. So for me, a lot for a long time, that was um, property, property. So it was property um, acquisition, property Mm -hmm. development, property renovation. Um, And I was fortunate with my professional job that I could um, continue working in that job even though I didn't want to because the benefit of it was that it was able to help me do this passion that Mm. I had around property Um, and that was kind of keeping me keeping me motivated and um, and upbeat about keeping that job so I think that um, having one, just having an entrepreneurial spirit is part of it, Mm -hmm. but also being willing to just give everything a go um, and see kind of, it's like, you know, throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. Um, That's a bit of the life of an entrepreneur, (laughs) I guess. You have to, you have to come up with things because something's not working and I'm excited by, um, by that. So I do like doing a lot of different things. I know people think you're not going to be successful unless you pour all of your love and attention into one thing. But in my heart, I just don't believe that. I believe that we can do lots of different projects and we can have our own level of success within those projects as well. Mm. And I'm curious, like, I mean, you moved out and, um, you know, Having having this one side uh, on the one side this um, self expectation of living up to perfectionism and on the other side like what gives you the the courage to then say I'm just gonna give it a go and allow yourself to fail. 
I think that you never think you're going to fail. That's part of the type A personality Mm. as well, that you think that you're going to, it doesn't matter, you're just going to make it work, Mm. which you can. Um, With that personality, you can pretty much make anything work and it just gets to a point where within yourself you've decided that's not the thing anymore and you've got your eye on something else. So it's not occurring like a failure. Um, It's more of just an evolution to the next step. This is very interesting because it's like so, in, in a certain way, counter, uh, counter, no, yeah, contradictory. <laughs> um, mm. And so it's so interesting, like like you just said, it's just not like an option. It just doesn't exist. I find it so fascinating, because mm. I was also raised as an uh, to be an achiever, but then you know I was really like afraid to to fail, to to not deliver something good enough, and so. I find it so fascinating. And <laughs> yeah. Um oh, I was just gonna say yeah. that I noticed um when when you shared with me um what this podcast was about and mm-hmm. what we'd be talking about that um you asked, you know, like, you know, what is one of the keys to the six to, to success or mm-hmm. to um to being able to create these things one after another. And yeah. honestly, I just think it's grit. That's Mm. it. It's, you know, every single thing just comes back to grit um, and whether you're prepared to do what you need to do to make it happen Mm. Um, and whether you want to allow it to happen or go out and make it happen, whatever, um, whatever mindset um, we're, we're in, it's still having the grit to actually keep showing up and just keep doing the work day after day, whether you feel like it or not, Mm. that. I think is the the true secret to success, any success. It's just that people have done what they said they were going to do and continue to consistently do it over time. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. And I I do feel that is, it is like you said, and I think one, one thing that has to do with it is this um, piece of passion that you mentioned that, one thing is, you know, and I feel that this is something that many are struggling with, that one thing is to like something and uh, for it to be like, you know, a, ni- a nice to have. But the other thing is to really have like a passion about it. And I think this is what what helps someone to to really show up every day and to say like, yeah, I'm going to do whatever it takes because, you know, you're just, um, yeah, so so passionate about the idea, uh, so passionate about, you know, the impact that, you know, you could create with it. Mm-hmm. And so um, what, what are some, or do you have some tips for people who um, are thinking of maybe starting out something on their own, starting a business? Um, Are there some things where you would say, um, you know, pay attention to this or uh, these are some key things that you shouldn't uh, neglect or something like that or keep in mind? Um, Just something that you can um, yeah, pass on to the listeners from your own experience. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Um, I think that... 
for me personally, what has made the biggest difference is actually starting the business that I uh, I work in predominantly now. So mm-hmm. about 80% of my time is actually taken up working as an essential oils educator and uh, health and wellbeing coach mm-hmm. for my customers, but then also a business um, strategist for mainly um I mainly work with women, so the women that I work with. Um, And as you touched on before, that's something I never, ever expected Mm -hmm. to be doing. I never thought I'd be working with a multi-level marketing company. I had every objection under the sun about it, and there was just no way I could see myself doing that. But the universe obviously conspires (laughs) in other ways. And um, this opportunity was presented to me um, in a really powerful way that was actually around building a sustainable income for um, a charity that I mm. really care about. My cousin started her own charity in Uganda and people can read about that on my website. Um, but what happened was um, that opened up a door for me to look at something like um, this this company that I work with and see it in a different light because I was so stuck on, you know, oh, I wouldn't work with MLMs because mm-hmm. of these horror stories that I've heard from Amway and Herbalife and all these other things, not to say there's anything wrong with other companies, but mm-hmm. um, my, my mindset was completely shifted by working by doing this work and what has happened through a few years of doing it is that I've basically had to undo everything I thought I knew about how to do business Mm. Um, and it's been very um, a very deep personal journey and I love it because it actually forced me to look at why type A is not the way I want to live my life and mm-hmm. why that's not going to ever lead to a fulfilling purpose um, purpose in my life. So what I really recommend is that people um, people do the self-reflection work. I was lucky that, well, lucky or stubborn that I needed such a massive <laughs> transformative <laughs> type business to make me look at that. But for your listeners, if they're just thinking of getting involved in a business, mm-hmm. um, what I say to the women I work with now is don't view this business and I'm talking about the the structure and the model that I use with my essential oils and mm-hmm. the way that we run our business. Don't use this business as you're an essential oils business. This mm-hmm. business is a platform for you or a vehicle for you to deliver the message into the world that you really know you're here to share. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're lucky with our essential oils because we know that they're working profoundly um, on our physical bodies, our emotional bodies and our esoteric bodies. So all those things are being taken care of, but there's ways for people to incorporate this same philosophy into whatever it is that they do, that the business is not the savior. The business is not the thing that's going to make you feel better. It's not going to be your measure of success. It's not, it's not going to be about the business. It's going to be about the message that you're able to articulate and then speak into the world or speak into the people that you're here to serve. Um, And that's a much more fulfilling and powerful place to come from than knowing all the business books or getting a degree or ticking all the boxes Mm -hmm. because we all know that there's people everywhere that are doing that, but they're not achieving the level of success that they want yet somebody else will start a blog that will resonate with a million people and achieve that 
very thing the other person's looking for. So it's not about knowing how to do it perfectly or being the best or mm. getting it right or anything like that. It's about reflecting on what is the message that I'm here to share and who am I here to share it with and then how can this business or this idea or this creative project actually be a vehicle for me to deliver this into the world. Oh my God, this is so beautiful and so powerful, really. I uh, really love that take on, on the business. Uh, makes me think about me myself right now. <laughs> so it's uh, really, really great advice there. Um, so I'm curious, like, what were some of the things that you had to, let's say, drastically turn around for yourself around your beliefs in the business? Oh, so many, <laughs> so many. I think if there was a book written on every objection someone yeah. might have to working with an MLM, I would have had all of them. Mm -hmm. um, I was just very fortunate that my desire to create uh, an in a sustainable income for my charity was mm -hmm. bigger than my um, objections about the model. So mm. um, basically just as a little bit of a, a backstory yeah. with, with my cousin's charity, it's a constant cycle of funding and um, fundraising and seeking money and things like that. And when my business partner um, contacted me, my now business partner contacted me out of the blue through my website um, and approached me with this opportunity. He really made me see the opportunity to create something that was um, continuously creating um, an income stream rather mm -hmm. than having to do that fundraising all the time. So it, it was very powerfully connected to mm -hmm. what I wanted to um, achieve with that. So, um, but what happened was all of a sudden, all of these objections started coming into my mind and they were really based around, you know, what are people going to think? I'm going to be judged. Uh, this is not um, scientific because I was in that medicine model at the time. Um, people are going to think that this is a scam. All of the societal opinions that people have about pyramid schemes, which mm -hmm. just, by the way, multi-level marketing is nothing to do with pyramid schemes, but we have this um, societal construct around those two things being blended together, which mm -hmm. they're not. Um, so basically all of these things were coming from my ignorance mm -hmm. to what exactly that model was. And I definitely don't advocate, um, MLMs just as a, as a blanket, but mm -hmm. the company that I work with, um, what I did was I went into deep work looking and researching everything I could about the company, about mm -hmm. the owners, about the where they source their oils from, about the um, scientific processes behind the purity testing, everything like that. And I was looking for dirt. That was my <laughs> mentality. I was like, there's dirt here and I'm going to find it, you know. <laughs> there's got to um, be something and... wrong with those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. And so I just used my type A personality to just research everything and I could not find anything. And mm. then at that point, I just thought, okay, I'm going to surrender and I'm going to put the effort that I put have put into everything else into this and I'm just going to see what happens and my life has been irreversibly changed because of 
this company that I'm working with at the moment. Um, and I don't see a time when I would ever stop working with them, mm-hmm. but I really stress that it's not about, um, it's not about, you know, the product or it's not mm-hmm. about the thing that you have or your, whatever your business is. It's about the capacity for you to be that person who gets to deliver their message because mm. of it. I love that. And so I'm curious, um, just really quickly, because I've heard this, let's say, I'll call it a buzzword, essential oil so much. I have no freaking clue, like really what it is about <laughs> and in what way it can really make a difference in somebody's life. But I am like seeing people who are actually working with essential oils, um, really like sharing that it has had such a big impact on their lives. So could you maybe just very briefly um, share with us what essential oils can actually, you know, do to your life in like in a supportive way or in a yeah beneficial way? Yes, I can definitely. And I could talk to you for hours <laughs> about I'm that. Sure. So I'll try and say something <laughs> brief and helpful. Um, look, essential oils, I think it's important to understand that at the very basic level, essential oils are not all the same. Mm-hmm. So when I'm when I'm talking about being an essential oils educator, I'm talking about working with um, therapeutic grade essential oils. So these are oils that can have um, physiological effects on our mm-hmm. body. When we buy oils from um, chain stores or mm-hmm. shops where they're, you know, two dollars a bottle or four dollars ninety nine. Those are not the kind of oils I'm talking about. Those are fragrance type products. Mm-hmm. So, um, with therapeutic grade essential oils, and there's very limited. My company is not the only company that produces them, but I think the only company that produces them in this ethical way. Um, there, we're talking about a whole different level of of essential oil. So with our company, we are partnering with medical practitioners all over the world. There's actually about 50 medical clinics that are opening up across the US where um, the vision is to see these oils fully integrated into mainstream medical care and supportive care for people. So it's not to say that, you know, drugs are bad, hospitals are bad, We need those things when we need them. But with essential oils, we're looking at a um, at molecules that can help our body systems do the best job that they can, the job that they're intended to do by nature, if they weren't being interfered with by all the stuff that we're confronted with today, which is, you know, um, bad food, stress, electromagnetic radiation, all these different things that we're exposed to. So we don't say essential oils cure illnesses and diseases. We say that they support body systems to do their best job and their natural job if they weren't being interfered with. So what people are experiencing are really profound physical changes in their body. So it might be to do with things like pain or inflammation, and inflammation is really the source of most problems um, in our bodies from our modern living so these oils can have powerful effects on on those parts physically but we know also that they have powerful effects on our emotional bodies so people who are suffering with anxious feelings or high levels of stress or sleep disorders all these kinds of things that are affecting so many of us the oils are working also in an emotional way to support 
um, the emotional cause of that. So I'm a kinesiologist and in mm -hmm. kinesiology, we believe that anything that we're experiencing is underpinned by an emotional cause. And if we don't find what that emotional cause is, then as soon as we re-experience that problem, we're going to have that issue again. Mm. So um, I, I'm trying to be brief, but I want to share this because it's yeah. important for people. Um, you know, say we have a sore shoulder and we go to a physiotherapist and they do exercises and our shoulder feels better and we leave and then a couple of days later, it just doesn't feel right again and that problem keeps coming back. If that person was to come to us as kinesiologists, we would look for what is the emotion underneath this injury or this pain or this problem. And we want to offer a correction to address that emotional concern because what has actually happened to the person is they've had something adjusted and fixed up. They've gone back out into their life. As soon as they've experienced that emotional state or the activation of that emotional state, the correction fails and yeah. they go back to having the pain or the problem. So what I believe um, is happening for people with the emotional aspect of these oils is that they're not only addressing the physical problem or the perceived problem that they have, they're actually using this powerful plant intelligence to go in and work on the emotional aspects of what's actually causing that or what's behind it. So as things get taken off in layers, mm -hmm. physically, emotionally, then esoterically, people's lives are just transformed. And mm -hmm. it's amazing to think that that can happen from a little bottle of essential oils, but that is yeah. what we see time and time and time again. Wow. Mm. So I, I need to learn more about essential oils. <laughs> yes, everybody does. <laughs> everybody does. So um, as our time is running out, um, I'm curious, is there one message, you know, that you, if, if you could communicate one message to every woman in this world, um, based on what you've experienced, based on what you know, what would that one message be? Oh, wow, that's tricky. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I think that it would just be to spend the time to go inside and really, really get clear on what it is you want to say to the world. And even if that's just one thing, like you don't have to write a book, you don't have to have a podcast, you don't have to do any of that stuff. But I know that inside inside every woman there's something that can be expressed that can be so powerful and healing for other women and other people and our planet. And what I love about my job is that I get to witness these moments of just greatness with women having a realization and a recognition of that powerful thing within themselves and then they speak it and that kind of brings me to tears in my business all the time because I think wow I've just seen somebody's greatness this is just the best thing yeah. ever um and that's I just I just think that that's inside of everybody so no matter what it is that we want to do with our lives to really um, know that that that's there and to be willing to to speak it into the world so mm. you know maybe you're a mom or you're you know you're working in a in a nursing home or whatever it is but just for women to recognize that they have the power to 
irreversibly change somebody's life mm. with the with their speaking, their authenticity, and that they sh- just feel scared but do it anyway. I love that. And um, on the other hand, what would be three things, three pieces of wisdom that uh, you would like to pass on to your six-year-old self? Like, what would you like, like Sam, to know um, at six years, six years old about life, about you know what is really important from everything that you've been through? Mm. I would just say that everything that you need is already within you. Everything's already perfect. So no need to try and be perfect. Just let that go. Um, Also that just because people don't understand you doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you. Mm -hmm. And it's not your job to make people understand you or explain yourself either. So just go and speak from your heart and know just know you know in your heart what to do in every moment and what what to do what to say where to go and Mm -hmm. just trust that more oh I love that and so um if people got curious about you about maybe essential oils about whatever um you know they found interesting in our in our talk today where can people find you and how can they work with you Yes, I would love, love, love that, especially if anybody wants to know anything about essential oils. I love um, sharing about that and um, rest assured that I'm not um, a crackpot that's giving information (laughs) that doesn't make sense. I do have a master's in critical care and I'm a kinesiologist, so I'm going to give people grounded and helpful advice that's um, that's safe. But they can look me up at my website, which is Mm -hmm. www.samanthagoldsmith.com. I am on Facebook at Samantha Goldsmith, the Essential Oil Emporium, mm-hmm. and on Instagram at Samantha Goldsmith HQ. That's about all I can manage with social media at this point. <laughs> I think that's already plenty. So, uh, girls, yeah. um, if you got curious, just get in touch with Samantha. Um, she's more than happy to, you know, um, yeah, talk to you about any inquiry you might have. And uh, so I'm just so happy and thankful uh, that you are with us today, Sam, um, that you shared so beautifully and openly, you know, your experience and everything that it had meant for your life and also shared some great advice for people who are looking into uh, starting their own business. So I really appreciate it. And I thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning into the Thrive Podcast and spending your precious time with us. If you found this episode valuable and think that others could benefit from it too, please share it with your network, friends, and family. I would also be forever grateful if you could go over to iTunes and leave us an honest review about the show. And if you have a comment, question, or topic that you would like to see covered on the show, go to algamuller.com slash thrivepodcast. So see you next week, girl. And until then, don't forget that you were meant to thrive.